Hey everyone, this is Brie. You're listening to Brief, the podcast that summarizes all the books. This is episode three of The Book Thief by Marcus Zusak. In this episode, we cover parts eight through the end of the book and then do a deep dive on the themes. This is the end of the book, so it's extremely sad and I maybe cry in the end, so you're welcome for that. Okay, part eight is called The Word Shaker. Featuring Dominoes and Darkness, The Thought of Rudy Naked, Punishment, A Promise Keeper's Wife, A Collector, The Bread Eaters, A Candle in the Trees, A Hidden Sketchbook, and The Anarchist's Suit Collection. So the first chapter is called Dominoes and Darkness, and it starts out with Rudy playing with his younger sisters in the living room. He's playing dominoes with them. There's two monsters in his kitchen, the two men with the coats asking about Rudy, and he's hoping that it has nothing to do with what happened a week before at school. So basically what happened was three boys, including Rudy, stood in front of their principal and some Nazi party members. They had their records and their bodies thoroughly examined. Rudy overhears what's happening in the kitchen, or he tries his best to, and he hears the men telling his parents that Rudy has great athletic and academic capabilities. Remember, he's very smart. He's also very athletic. And they want to send him to a new school that they've created, basically where they're trying to create German super people. (laughs) Not like actually super people, but like they're taking the best and the brightest young men and women in order to create like a generation of Germans who are like very strong and smart and, you know, capable of taking over the world, essentially. His parents are refusing. They're like, absolutely not. But they keep saying, think of the opportunities your son can have. This is a privilege. It says on page 409, our school is one of the finest ever established. It's better than world class. We're creating an elite group of German citizens in the name of the Fuhrer. Rudy is sitting in the living room with his sisters playing dominoes. And he's like, this is my fault for trying to prove myself to everyone, trying to prove that I'm the best, that I'm strong, blah, blah, blah. His parents say no. In the end, they're like, absolutely not. We're not sending our son away. It says on page 410, if only Rudy had kept listening at the door just another few minutes. He told himself in the weeks to come, or in fact pleaded with himself, that if he had heard the rest of the conversation that night, he'd have entered the kitchen much earlier. I'll go, he would have said. Please take me. I'm ready now. If he had intervened, it might have changed everything. And then a side note says three possibilities. One, Alex Steiner wouldn't have suffered the same punishment as Hans Huberman. Number two, Rudy would have gone away to school. And number three, and just maybe, he would have lived. The next chapter is called The Thought of Rudy Naked. So this is what happened the previous week at Rudy's school. Three boys stand in a doctor's office at their school. They're told to undress. They're mortified. But Rudy is one of them. And they make them undress completely. You know, Rudy and the other boys try their best to keep their dignity by covering themselves up, but they're forced to hold their arms out. And it says on page 14, when this happened, Rudy did not feel like he was part of a master race. So they inspect the boys' bodies, their grades, everything, and then they are allowed to get dressed. And they overhear the nurse tell the doctor that the first and the third will be chosen but they don't know who that will be. They know who the first is, but they can't remember who they wrote down second and third. Rudy is telling this story to Liesl, 
describing what happened. And all Liesl can think about is Rudy standing there naked during his examination. The next chapter is called Punishment. On page 416, it says, On the ration cards of Nazi Germany, there was no listing for punishment, but everyone had to take their turn. For some, it was death in a foreign country during the war. For others, it was poverty and guilt when the war was over, when six million discoveries were made throughout Europe. Six million discoveries, meaning six million Jewish people slaughtered. Many people must have seen their punishment coming, but only a small percentage welcomed it. One such person was Hans Huberman. You do not help Jews on the street. Your basement should not be hiding one. Hans is plagued by this guilt because the Gestapo has not come for him. He made Max leave for no reason other than helping this old man who was probably going to die anyway. And he's just sitting there guilty because Max had to leave. But then one Wednesday in early November, in the mail, he gets a letter that says, we are delighted to inform you that your application to join the Nazi party has been approved. He's confused by this. And he says to Rosa, there has to be more. And there was. On Friday, a statement arrived to say that Hans Huberman was being drafted into the German army. He was being sent away. And he says, God, please don't send me to Russia. They find out that Alex Steiner, Rudy's father, has also been drafted into the German war. Both Hans and Alex are being punished for their actions. Hans for helping a Jewish man and Alex Steiner for not letting his child go to this German school. They also say on page 418 that this was a sign of the German army's growing desperation. And when Rudy asks his mother why his father is going to the war, Rudy's mom says, if they want your kid, you say yes. The next chapter is called The Promise Keeper's Wife. So Hans and Alex Steiner get drunk one night, the night before Hans is supposed to leave. And when Hans gets home, he stops by Liesel's room. At first, Liesel thinks that it's Max, but Hans tells her that it's him, and then he walks away. He goes down to the basement, and he falls asleep face down on the cement floor because he felt he didn't deserve Max's mattress. And Rosa finds him there and pours a bucket of water, cold water, on him. So Hans is supposed to leave that day. Liesel asks him not to leave, and he asks her to take care of Rosa. He also asks her to look after his accordion. He decided not to bring it with him. And he says, if there's more raids, keep reading in the shelter. And then as he leaves at the train station, she asks him if he'll play his accordion for them when he gets home, and he says, I promise. So after Rudy's dad leaves a few days later... Rudy goes over to Liesel's house and knocks on the door and asks her to come with him. She says, where are we going? And he says, isn't it obvious? I'm going to find him. And she says, your dad? And he says, yes. And then he says, actually, no, I think I'll find the fear instead because I want to kill him. Liesel is trying to get him to stop. She's like, it's going to be dark soon. We need to go back. And Rudy gets mad and he's like, leave me. You're not the friend I thought you were, basically. And she leaves and walks back. And for 15 minutes, she's alone. And then Rudy shows up at her side. He caught up with her. And they didn't speak for over an hour. And as they're walking, Liesl thinks about a character in the book called A Song in the Dark. The girl says, my heart is so tired. And as they're walking, Liesl thinks, it's my heart that's tired. A 13-year-old heart shouldn't feel like this. When they get back into the city, they pass by... Rudy's father's shop. Remember, he owns a clothing store. They closed up the shop when Alex left. Liesl makes them walk on 
back home. Their mothers are waiting for them, extremely worried. Rudy's mom asks, you know, where were you? And Liesl answers for him and says, he was killing the Fuhrer. And Rudy looked genuinely happy for a long enough moment to please her. And then he says bye. Liesl goes to bed and she wakes up to see Rosa pulling out her husband's accordion. And she kind of just holds it against her chest with her fingers on the keys. And Liesl waits for her to play it, but she doesn't. And she falls asleep next to it. And on page 429, it says, Like an anchor, it pulled her forward. Her body was sinking. Okay, the next chapter is called The Collector. So Hans and Alex, neither of them were sent to fight on the front lines. Alex is sent to mend clothing in Vienna, and Hans is sent to work in the air raid special unit. And basically what he does is he goes around in a truck after the bomb raids and collects bodies. Anyone who's been trapped in the raid who's still alive. One of the men who works with him, his name is Reinhold Zucker, And on page 432, it says, In the messy space of a few months, Reinhold Zucker would be dead. He would be killed by Hans Huberman's seat in the truck. He realizes at one point that they sort of have like assigned seats in the back of this truck. One day, Reinhold Zucker takes Hans Huberman's seat, and that day he dies in that seat. And so that's what this means. Okay. During November, an actual raid happens where Hans is. And they're putting out a fire when a building collapses, stopping just short of Hans. And they all run to safety. They're caked in ash from the building falling. Obviously, the worst part is finding people. And one day, as Hans finishes building, a person asks for help. As Hans carries him, the man dies in his arms. And after that, Hans works hard to avoid people. He doesn't want to deal with the dying people. And when they move to another area, he trips over a young boy's corpse. And later they run into a mom looking for her boy. They can't bring themselves to tell her that he's dead, that they found him. And it says on page 437, Papa's lungs were full of sky. Okay, the next chapter is called The Bread Eaters. So Liesl always thinks about Max, her dad, and Alex Steiner and she calls them the three desperate men. Liesl continues her reading sessions with Frau Holtzapfel. During this time, there are two more parades of Jewish people walking to Dachau. Liesl rushes to both of these parades, trying to see if Max is among them, see if he's been captured, see if she can get a glimpse of him. She doesn't see him. But in the third parade, Rudy gets a hold of a bag of stale bread. He breaks it into six pieces, He gives some to Liesl and takes some for himself. Liesl says, I'm not sure this is a good idea. And he says, your papa did. He says, if we're fast enough, we won't get caught. So they run around the parade of Jewish people giving pieces of bread. And when they were finished, they ran their bikes and hid among all the trees. It says on page 440, in the tree shadows, Liesl watched the boy, Rudy. How things had changed from fruit stealer to bread giver. His blonde hair, although darkening, was like a candle. She heard his stomach growl, and he was giving people bread. Was this Nazi Germany? The soldiers notice that some of the Jewish people have bread, and he makes everybody stop, and they find Liesl and Rudy hiding in the bushes, and they both start running, and Rudy says, Liesl, don't stop running. The next chapter is called The Hidden Sketchbook. So before Christmas, there's another raid, and the bombs are dropped in open fields mostly, but while they're in the shelter, Liesl continues to read to everybody. And when Rosa and Liesl get home, 
Rosa is determined to show Liesl something, and she goes into her room, cuts the edge of her mattress open, and pulls out a book. And she tells Liesl that this is from Max. Remember, he said, I have something for you. You'll get it when you're ready. So Liesl takes the book and reads it. And in the book, Max wrote stories about his family and his life and Liesl's life. He draws the stories that Liesl told him about. And he includes a story called The Word Shaker. He starts by talking about a man who's trying to figure out how to make the world his. He's talking about Hitler. The man witnesses a mom admonishing her child, and he starts to understand the power of words. And on page 445, it says his first plan of attack was to plant the words in as many areas of his homeland as possible. While the words were growing, our young Fuhrer also planted seeds to create symbols, and these two were well on their way to full bloom. So he tells the story about the word shakers, the people who climb the trees and throw the words down onto everybody else. And one of them is a small girl, but she climbs higher than anyone else. And she meets somebody she's supposed to hate, but she doesn't. And one day, she plants this seed of friendship outside with a tear. And a tree grows taller than all of the other trees, and everybody wonders about it and waits for the Fuhrer. He orders for it to be cut down, and the girl pleads for it to be left alone. And she climbs the tree, and as he tries to cut it with an axe, nothing happens. And no axe that any soldier or any person tries to cut this tree down with works. She stays up in the tree for a long time, and the other word shakers throw supplies to her so that she doesn't have to leave. They give up trying to cut the tree down until a new axeman comes. And instead of an axe, he hammers nails into the tree, and he climbs the tree like a ladder until he reaches the word shaker. The word shaker realizes that this is the same person who she received the seed of friendship from. Together they climb down the tree. And when they are off the tree, all of the axe marks that were made in the tree show up and the tree falls, destroying a lot of the forest, but not all of it. And Liesl finishes the story and wonders where Max is and she realizes she knows where he is and she has dreams of the tree. The next chapter is called The Anarchist's Suit Collection. So it's Christmas Eve and Liesl and Rudy go to his father's suit shop. On page 452, it says, On Christmas Eve, she made a decision about Rudy. To hell with being out too late. So Liesl goes to get Rudy. She takes him and tells him that she has a present for him. They go to Rudy's father's shop and they break in. And she looks for a suit that will fit him and hands him one. And he tries it on and he trips while walking. And Liesl at this moment is finally in the place that Rudy has been all these years where she has a huge crush on him and she wants to kiss him, but she's afraid. She tries to muster up the courage to kiss him, but she can't. And he mentions how much he misses his dad. And she helps him up and they find a suit for him. Okay, part nine is called The Last Human Stranger. Featuring The Next Temptation, A Card Player, The Snows of Stalingrad, An Ageless Brother, An Accident, The Bitter Taste of Questions, A Toolbox, A Bleeder, A Bear, A Broken Plane, and A Homecoming. The first chapter is called The Next Temptation. So Liesl and Rudy are back at the mayor's library, stealing something. This time, Ilsa Herman left cookies out for them. Liesl passes the plate of cookies out the window to Rudy. She grabs a book, and as she's climbing out the window, Ilsa Herman opens the door. And Liesl sees her, and she's wearing a bathrobe with a swastika on it, 
and it says on page 460, propaganda even reached the bathroom. Liesel realizes that the cookies that had been laid out probably had been there for weeks waiting for her. And she wondered why the mayor wouldn't question why there were cookies. And she realizes that this library is not the mayor's library. It's Ilsa Herman's library. And it says on page 461, she didn't know why it was so important, but she enjoyed the fact that the room full of books belonged to the woman. It was she who introduced her to the library in the first place and gave her the initial, even literal, window of opportunity. This way was better. It all seemed to fit. And she asks the mayor's wife, this is your room, isn't it? And she says, I used to read in here with my son. Liesel and Rudy leave and they eat the cookies on their way home. And they even share some with their friend Tommy. The next chapter is called The Card Player. So Hans, out in war, is playing cards with a bunch of other men and he keeps winning. He beats Reinhold Zucker, who, remember, is the man who takes Hans's seat on the truck and ends up dying. Reinhold Zucker is mad that Hans keeps winning. Even though when Hans wins, he tra- he's like generous and shares his cigarettes with everyone. But Reinhold Zucker is like, I don't need your charity, old man. And he just really doesn't like him. And on page 464, it says, Had he not lost his cigarettes to Hans Huberman, he wouldn't have despised him. If he hadn't despised him, he might not have taken his place a few weeks later on a fairly innocuous road. One seat, two men, a short argument, and me. It kills me sometimes how people die. The next chapter is called The Snows of Stalingrad. So Liesel goes to read one day to Frau Holtzapfel, but a man answers the door instead. He's a young man. He says, now's not a good time. So Liesel goes home, and a few hours later, he knocks on Liesel's door. The man is Frau Holtzapfel's son, one of her sons. She has two. He introduces himself as Michael Holtzapfel, and Rosa sees him and he tells her that his brother died. On page 467, it says, Certainly war meant dying, but it always shifted the ground beneath a person's feet when it was someone who had once lived and breathed in close proximity. And before he leaves, he tells Rosa that he heard her son was in Russia and that he was doing okay. Remember, their son is like a huge Nazi and hates their father and they're not speaking anymore, so she doesn't even hear from him. Rosa tries to find out more about him, but Michael leaves. Liesel goes over to read to Frau Holtzapfel. Even though she's sitting there crying, Michael thinks maybe it will help. And Death tells us how her son Robert died. He says his legs were blown off and he died three days later in a hospital while his brother Michael was there tending to him. And in the kitchen, Liesel reads, and on page 471 it says... And it feels good to be good for something in the aftermath of the snows of Stalingrad. She was hoping that, you know, what she was doing was helping. Okay, the next chapter is The Ageless Brother. Liesel is almost 14. One day she decides to take the plate of cookies back to the mayor's wife. And she cleans it all off and takes it back and leaves it on the step. So that night she thinks about Max. She thinks about her brother Werner who died. She thinks about Hans and Rudy. And Liesel thinks about a quote from the most recent book that she's reading, and it says, There were people everywhere on the city street, but the stranger could not have been more alone if it were empty. And the next morning she hears Rosa praying over the accordion. She says, Make them come back alive. Please, Lord, all of them. The next chapter is called The Accident. So Hans is sitting in the back of the truck where he always sits when Reinhold Zucker forces him to move. And Hans is like, that's my seat. And he's like, I don't care. So he switches seats with him. As they're driving, one of the tires on their truck is punctured and the truck goes rolling. And the man who took Hans' seat 
died from a broken neck, which that would have been Hans, right? Hans knows that it should have been him who died, and they get a new truck. Hans is examined. His leg is broken, and the sergeant tells him that he can heal and that he'll recommend Hans goes home to his family and he can work in Munich. On page 478, it says, You're lucky you're a good man and generous with the cigarettes. The next chapter is called The Bitter Taste of Questions. So a week after Liesel's birthday, they get a letter from Hans about his broken leg and about the fact that he's returning home. And Liesel runs to tell the Steiners. On page 479, it says, A broken leg was certainly something to celebrate. Liesel tells Rudy, and while he's happy for her, she knows that Rudy wonders why Hans is coming home and not his own dad. The next chapter is called One Toolbox, One Bleeder, One Bear. Every day, Rudy's rage grows more and more that his father is gone. And one day, he leaves the house with a toolbox. In Rudy's toolbox, there was a pocket knife, a flashlight, a hammer, a hand towel, a few screwdrivers, a ski mask, clean socks, and a teddy bear. The teddy bear was his little sister's, and it was there because she was trying to hide it from the bomb raids or something like that. Liesel sees him and she runs out to join him. Rudy doesn't even say hello, but he's very angry and he's heading towards the rich streets where, like, the mayor lives. And he tells Liesel, he's like, you know what, I've been thinking, you're not a thief at all. That woman lets you in. She even leaves you cookies. I don't call that stealing. Stealing is what the army does, taking your father and mine. All those rich Nazis up there. Rudy asks her how it feels, and he says, it feels good, doesn't it, to steal something back? She finally gets him to stop and he shows her what's in his toolbox. And everything makes sense except for the teddy bear. And he says, that's in case a kid walks in while I'm inside, I'll give it to them to calm down. She's like, what are you going to steal? And he says, money, food, jewelry, whatever I can get my hands on. It says about 15 minutes later, Liesel looked at Rudy and she realized Rudy Steiner wasn't stealing anything. The commitment had disappeared and although he still watched the imagined glory of stealing, she could see that he was now not believing it. He was trying to believe it, and that's never a good sign. He takes off his shoes so that he can go inside and be quiet and steal something. He ends up just sitting on the toolbox with Liesel. They stare at the homes, and when they leave, Rudy changes his socks because they're wet. He says, I guess I'm better at leaving things behind than stealing them. A few weeks later, there's another air raid, and so they are going down to the bomb shelter. Frau Holzapfel's son comes running to the house to get Rosa because Frau Holzapfel is refusing to leave her house. Rosa runs over there trying to convince her. Liesel goes with her and they have no success trying to get her so they end up leaving her because what else can they do? They run to the shelter and Michael comes with them and he is feeling a lot of guilt and regret for leaving his mom. He's also feeling a lot of survivor's guilt because of his brother. And Michael says on page 487, Tell me, Rosa, how can she sit there ready to die when I still want to live? And he weeps and he doesn't stop even when Frau Holzapfel joins them in the shelter. She walked herself over finally. The bombing continues for a while before they hear the sirens of safety. And when they head out, they see smoke from a fire by the river. And Rudy runs down there. Liesel chases after him, and they find a plane that crashed. And the pilot is still alive, but barely. Death is there to get the pilot, and he recognizes Liesel. And he thinks that Liesel recognizes him, too. 
and Rudy grabs the teddy bear out of the toolbox. He had it with him in the bomb shelter, and he puts it on the shoulder of the dying soldier. And in English, the soldier says, thank you. On page 491, it says, the human heart is a line, whereas my own is a circle, and I have the endless ability to be in the right place at the right time. The consequence of this is that I'm always finding humans at their best and worst. I see their ugly and their beauty, and I wonder how the same thing can be both. Still, they have one thing I envy. Humans, if nothing else, have the good sense to die. The last chapter in this part is called Homecoming. Hans Huberman comes home and gets a week of rest before he is told that he's going to go work in Munich, but he can obviously live at home. Liesl hugs him tightly without letting him go, and Hans tells them everything that happened. On page 493, it says that Liesl woke up several times to check that he was there, and he did not fail her. Okay, part 10. This is the last part, and it's so sad, so prepare yourself. Part 10 is called The Book Thief, featuring the end of the world, the 98th day, a war maker, way of the words, a catatonic girl, confessions, Ilsa Herman's little black book, some rib cage planes, and a mountain range of rubble. The first chapter is called The End of the World Part 1. So Death tells us the story in advance about how they hear planes flying over Himmel Street when everyone is sleeping. They drop their bombs and everybody dies except Liesel. Everyone. It says, on page 497, it was raining on Himmel Street when the world ended for Liesel Memminger. The sky was dripping. In short, Himmel Street was flattened. Houses were splashed from one side of the street to the other. A framed photo of a very serious-looking Fuhrer was bashed and beaten on the shattered floor, all while people slept. Rudy Steiner slept. Mama and Papa slept. Frau Holtzapfel, Frau Diller, Tommy Mueller, all sleeping, all dying. Only one person survived. She survived because she was sitting in the basement, reading through the story of her own life, checking for mistakes. Previously, the room had been declared too shallow, but on that night, October 7th, it was enough. The shells of wreckage cantered down, and hours later, when the strange, unkempt silence settled itself in mulching, the local LSE could hear something, an echo. Down there, somewhere, a girl was hammering a paint can with a pencil. The LSE is what... Hans did in the war. Basically, they picked up the wreckage after bombing, and they can't believe that this girl is alive. Death says, earlier I'd held her papa in one arm and her mama in another. Each soul was soft. The LSE team finds her, they dig her up, and she screams for Hans when she sees the wreckage around her, and they try to ask her how she knew to hide in the basement when the sirens were too late. Obviously she didn't. She was just down there by chance and she screams for him. It says that she was clutching a book. She was holding desperately on to the words who had saved her life. The next chapter is called The 98th Day. So we're going back in time 97 days before the bombing. So 97 days before the bombing, everything was great on Himmel Street. Hans started working in Munich and during the summer, Jewish people are brought in to clean up in the city. Liesel again looks for Max in the crowd of Jewish people, but she doesn't find him. And Jewish people are marched through mulching again and again. And Liesel always searches but never finds Max. In this time, Michael Holtzapfel kills himself. He killed himself for wanting to live, is what Death says about it. He had major survivor's guilt 
and he couldn't handle it anymore and he ended up killing himself. This obviously destroys Frau Holzapfel and he leaves her a note asking for forgiveness and Hans is the one that finds her and he stays with her while she screams and he walks her home. The next chapter is called The War Maker. Liesel still goes to read to Frau Holzapfel. She's reading the Dream Carrier book to her, which is her neighbor's favorite book. The Allied forces are gaining on Germany. And on page 507, it says, There was no slackening off in terms of war making, nor was there any scaling back on the extermination and punishment of a Jewish plague. He reveals to us that Max Vandenberg is in a concentration camp. He's been captured. The next chapter is called Way of the Words. So a bunch of Jewish people are marching through mulching. Liesel again runs to look for Max. And it says on page 509, God, there were so many of them, so many sets of dying eyes and scuffing feet. And Liesel notices Max in the crowd, not because of his features, but because he is also studying the crowd looking for Liesel. And she runs into the middle of the street and she yells to him that she's there. And they find each other in the crowd. And he tells her, they got me halfway to Stuttgart when he was traveling after he left. And she walks with him until a soldier notices her. And the soldier drags her out of the crowd and she waits until he's not looking anymore and she re-enters and she finds Max again. And from behind him, she tells him the story of the word shaker. She just like recites it back to him. And he stops walking and he cries. Soldiers come and they whip him and they drag her out of the crowd again and they whip her too. Rudy calls out to her to get out of there, but the soldier whips her again. Max is pushed forward. Rudy runs to her to help her up and she runs back to Max and Rudy chases her down and holds her even though she's like trying to get away from him. And it says on page 515, together they watched the humans disappear. They watched them dissolve like moving tablets in humid air. This moment is a really big turning point for Max. He feels emboldened by Liesel's presence and the story that she recites back to him. He says it's a beautiful day. He thinks to himself even it's a great day to die like this, like I got to see Liesel again. And he weeps. Anyway, they're being whipped and Rudy grabs Liesel, tries to take her away. She tries to run again to Max. Rudy catches up to her and holds her down. She punches him. It says he collected her punches as if they were presents. Her bony hands and elbows were accepted with nothing but a few short moans. He accumulated the loud, clumsy specks of saliva and tears as if they were lovely to his face. And more important, he was able to hold her down. On Munich Street, a boy and a girl were intertwined. They were twisted and comfortless on the road. Together they watched the humans disappear. They watched them dissolve like moving tablets in the humid air. The next chapter is called Confessions. So afterward, Liesel goes to the train station to wait for Hans. He's comes back from Munich every day on the train. She's obviously, you know, been whipped and whatever, but Rudy goes with her and Liesel refuses to leave the train station until Hans comes. And so Rudy runs back to get Rosa. She obviously understands what happened and runs to the train station to wait with Liesel. And when Hans finds out, he plays the accordion all night. Liesel stays in bed for three days. And on the fourth day, she brings Rudy out to the woods and tells him about Max. She's like, it's finally time I need to tell him. She shows him the story of the word shaker, and Rudy is stunned that she told Max about him. He, like, reads the book, and in it, Max had written a story about the boy with lemon-colored hair. 
that Liesl had told him about. And it says, it's really cute, so I'm going to read it. On page 518, it says, Hair the color of lemons, Rudy read. His fingers touched the words, You told him about me? At first, Liesl could not talk. Perhaps it was the sudden bumpiness of love she felt for him. Or had she always loved him? It's likely. Restricted as she was from speaking, she wanted him to kiss her. She wanted him to drag her hand across and pull her over. It didn't matter where, her mouth, her neck, her cheek. Her skin was empty for it, waiting. Years ago, when they'd raced on a muddy field, Rudy was a hastily assembled set of bones with a jagged, rocky smile. In the trees this afternoon, he was a giver of bread and teddy bears. He was a triple Hitler Youth Athletics champion. He was her best friend, and he was a month from his death. Of course I told him about you, Liesl said. She was saying goodbye, and she didn't even know it. Oh my gosh, my heart is breaking. Just gets worse and worse, people. Buckle up. Okay, the next chapter is called Ilsa Herman's Little Black Book. Liesl ends up going to the mayor's house for comfort, and she sits in the library. She snuck in through the window again, but she doesn't care anymore if she gets found. And she grabs a book, and she starts ripping it apart because she's sad. It says on page 521, the words, Why did they have to exist? Without them, there wouldn't be any of this. And she rips apart a bunch of books, and she ends up writing a note and leaving it for Ilsa Herman, apologizing for ripping the books and telling her that it's the last time she will come. She's not going to come steal any more books. Liesl leaves the house, and three days later, Ilsa Herman knocks on her door in real clothes, not in a bathrobe with a swastika on it. And she gives Liesl a little black book with blank-lined pages and tells her, she's like, if you won't read anymore you should write. Liesl invites her in for coffee, and this book gives Liesl a reason to spend time in the basement every night writing her story. And that night, she does. She sits in the basement, and she starts writing the story of her life. The next chapter is called The Rib Cage Plains. Liesl fell asleep in the basement, and Rosa finds her the next day. And each night, Liesl goes down to the basement and tries to write 10 pages of her life. And within 10 days, Munich is bombed again. Liesl's asleep in the basement when Hans comes for her to bring her to the bomb shelter. By October, she's finished her book, and she is now reading through it looking for mistakes, like editing her book that she wrote. It is that night that the bombs rain down on Himmel Street without warning when everyone is sleeping. The last line of the book thief's book, which she entitled The Book Thief, says, I have hated the words and I have loved them, and I hope I have made them right. Okay, this chapter is the last chapter, and it's called End of the World Part 2. Death goes to each person on Himmel Street as the bombs rain down. It says on page 530, in the space of a few minutes, all of them were gone. He takes Tommy Mueller's family first, then Frau Holtzapfel, Frau Diller, a bunch of the people in the neighborhood, and at the Steiners, he takes Barbara. Alex isn't there. Remember, his dad still isn't back from the war. Barbara, his older brother, Kurt, the little sisters. And then he takes Rudy. And on page 531, it says, He laid in bed with one of his sisters. She must have kicked him or muscled her way into the majority of the bed space because he was on the very edge with his arm around her. The boy slept. His candlelit hair ignited the bed. I picked both him and Bettina up with their souls still in the blanket. If nothing else, they died fast, and they were warm. The boy from the plane, I thought. The one with the teddy bear. Where was Rudy's comfort? Where was someone to alleviate this robbery of his life? 
who was there to soothe him as life's rug was snatched from under his sleeping feet. No one. There was no one. I carried him softly through the broken street with one salty eye and a heavy, deathly heart. With him, I tried a little harder. I watched the contents of his soul for a moment and saw a black-painted boy calling the name Jesse Owens as he ran through an imaginary tape. I saw him hip-deep in some icy water chasing a book, and I saw a boy lying in bed imagining how a kiss would taste from his glorious next-door neighbor. He does something to me, that boy, every time. It's his only detriment. He steps on my heart. He makes me cry. Lastly, the Huberman, Hans, Papa. His soul sat up. It met me. Those kinds of souls always do. The best ones. The ones who rise up and say, I know who you are and I am ready. Not that I want to go, of course, but I will come. Those souls are always light because more of them have been put out. More of them have already found their way to other places. This one was sent out by the breath of an accordion, the odd taste of champagne in the summer, and the art of promise-keeping. He lay in my arms and rested. There was an itchy lung for a last cigarette and an immense magnetic pull toward the basement for the girl who was his daughter and was writing a book down there that he hoped to read one day. Liesel. His soul whispered it as I carried him. But there was no Liesel in that house. Not for me, anyway. For me, there was only Rosa. And yes, I truly think I picked her up mid-snore, for her mouth was open and her papery pink lips were still in the act of moving. If she'd seen me, I'm sure she would have called me a sacral, though I would not have taken it badly. After reading The Book Thief, I discovered that she called everyone that, especially the people she loved. Make no mistake, the woman had a heart. She had a bigger one than people would think. There was a lot in it stored up, high in miles of hidden shelving, Remember that she was the woman with the instrument strapped to her body in the long, moon-slit night. She was a Jew feeder without a question in the world on a man's first night in mulching. And she was an arm-reacher, deep into the mattress to deliver a sketchbook to a teenage girl. Jeez, okay. I didn't think I would cry rereading this section, but I guess I am. <laughs> so death stays and watches as they pull Liesel out of the rubble. She screams and breaks away from them and runs, trying to find her people, her family. She first started screaming for Papa, obviously. She's shocked at what she sees, obviously. Himmel Street is just in rubble, and she says to a soldier, we have to get my Papa, my Mama. We have to get Max out of the basement. If he's not there, he's in the hallway looking out the window. He does that sometimes when there's a raid. He doesn't get to look much at the sky, you see. I have to tell him how the weather looks. Now, he'll never believe me. So, she finds the accordion, and she takes it with her. She looks down the street as far as she can. She sees two men carrying a body, and she follows them. And she sees Rudy's hair first. She calls Rudy's name, and it says, He lay there with yellow hair and closed eyes, and the book thief ran toward him and fell down. She dropped the black book. Rudy, she sobbed, wake up. She grabbed him by his shirt and gave him just the slightest disbelieving shake. Wake up, Rudy. And now, as the sky went on heating and showering ash, Liesel was holding Rudy Steiner's shirt by the front. Rudy, please. The tears grappled with her face. Rudy, please wake up. God damn it. Wake up. I love you. Come on, Rudy. Come on, Jesse Owens. Don't you know I love you? Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. But nothing cared. She leaned down and looked at his lifeless face, and Liesel kissed her best friend, Rudy Steiner, soft and true on the lips. He tasted dusty and sweet. 
He tasted like regret in the shadows of trees and in the glow of the anarchist's suit collection. She kissed him long and soft, and when she pulled herself away, she touched his mouth with her fingers. She did not say goodbye. She was incapable. After a few more minutes at his side, she was able to tear herself from the ground. It amazes me what humans can do. Even when streams are flowing down their faces and they stagger on, coughing and searching and finding. She finds her parents next. Slowly, Liesl walked to her mama and papa and sat down between them. She held mama's hand and began speaking to her. Remember when I came here, mama? I clung to the gate and cried. Do you remember what you said to everyone on the street that day? Her voice wavered now. You said, what are you assholes looking at? She took her mama's hand and touched her wrist. Mama, I liked when you came to school and told me that Max had woken up. Did you know I saw you with Papa's accordion? I came and watched you and you were beautiful, Mama. And then she turns to her father and Death says, I could tell that this was who she loved the most. Her expression stroked the man on his face. It followed one of the lines down his cheek. He had sat in the washroom with her and taught her how to roll a cigarette. He gave bread to the dead man on Munich Street and told the girl to keep reading in the bomb shelter. Perhaps if he didn't, she might not have ended up writing in the basement. So she lays the accordion next to his body, and Death says that he watched as this happened, and he also read it in the book Thief's book later. He watched as Hans Huberman took the accordion and played it for her. Lisa lifted him up and hugged him. She wept over the shoulder of Hans Huberman and says, Goodbye, Papa, you saved me. You taught me to read. No one can play like you. I'll never drink champagne. And she wept until she was taken away. And Death sees that she left her book that she wrote and he took it. I literally can't stop crying. Okay, wow. <clears throat> Still recovering from that. Okay, this is the epilogue, the very end. It's called The Last Color, featuring Death and Liesel, some wooden tears, Max, and the handover man. Many years have passed, and Death tells us that Liesel lived until she was in old age, but she died yesterday in Sydney, Australia. On page 544, he says, in her final vision, she saw her three children, her grandchildren, her husband, and the long list of lives that merged with hers. Among them, lit like lanterns, were Hans and Rosa Huberman, her brother, and the boy whose hair remained the color of lemons forever. The next chapter is called Wood in the Afternoon. So after everything happened, she ended up taking the accordion with her. And she had nowhere to go after the bombing. At the police station, the mayor and Ilsa come for Liesel, and they let her stay in her house. She sleeps mostly, she barely eats, and she refuses to bathe because, you know, she's covered in ash and bomb and all of that. On page 554, people who were at the service of Hans and Rosa Huberman always talked about the girl who stood there wearing a pretty dress and a layer of Himmel Street dirt. There was also a rumor that later in the day she walked fully clothed into the Amper River and said something very strange. Something about a kiss. Something about a sandwich. How many times did she have to say goodbye? So she washed her body off in the Amper River talking to Rudy because remember he asked for a kiss when he was there. And one day, she walks to Himmel Street to find her books. It says on page 546, there was no recovery from what had happened. That would take decades. It would take a long life. So Alex Steiner comes home from the war, full of regret. He lost his entire family. And he's full of regret for not letting Rudy go to that special school because he would have been saved. At least him, right? It says on page 547, you save someone, you kill them. How was he supposed to know? And he tells all of this to Liesel. 
as soon as he finds out where she is, she, he goes to the mayor's house and finds her. Okay, the next chapter is called Max. When the war was over and Hitler had delivered himself to death's arms, Alex Steiner resumed work in his tailor shop. Liesel often worked with him. They spent many days together, often walking to Dachau after its liberation, only to be denied by the Americans. Finally, in October 1945, a man with swampy eyes, feathers of hair, and a clean-shaven face walked into the shop. He approached the counter. Is there someone here by the name of Liesel Memminger? And Liesel came out, and they hugged and cried and fell to the floor. (sighs) Okay, the last chapter is called The Handover Man and then I can freaking stop crying. On page 549, he says, when I traveled to Sydney and took Liesel away, I was able to finally do something I'd been waiting on for a long time. I put her down, and we walked along Anzac Avenue near the soccer field, and I pulled a dusty black book from my pocket. The old woman was astonished. She took it in her hand and said, is this really it? I nodded. She opened the book thief and turned the pages. She sat down on the curb, and I joined her. Did you read it? She asked, but she did not look at me. Her eyes were fixed to the words. I nodded and said many times, Could you understand it? At that point, there was a great pause. I wanted to tell the book thief many things about beauty and brutality, but what could I tell her about those things that she didn't already know? I wanted to explain that I am constantly overestimating and underestimating the human race, that rarely do I ever simply estimate it. I wanted to ask her how the same thing could be so ugly and so glorious and its words and stories so damning and brilliant. None of those things, however, came out of my mouth. All I was able to do was to turn to Liesel Memminger and tell her the only truth I know. I said it to the book thief, and I say it now to you. I am haunted by humans. We made it, guys. That's the end. I've never um, cried while recording before. I thought I might when I did the Kite Runner, but I didn't. So sad, though, right? Like, it's not just me. That's, like, absolutely devastating. Okay, I'm going to go over themes, and then we will be done. So, the first theme is, like, the power of words, reading, and language. So, this entire novel is basically about words. Words are what bring characters together. Liesel and Hans, Liesel and Max, Liesel and the mayor's wife, the Frau Holzapfel, Liesel and death, even. It's what brings everyone together with Liesel. And Max says something extremely profound in the book that he writes for Liesel called The Word Shaker, when he talks about how Hitler convinced his people that they were the superior race over Jews, not with guns, but with words. Obviously, they understood the power of words because Nazis burned books in order to keep the power of words from the German people, right? This is something throughout history that people have done. They've banned books, they've burned books because people understand the power of words. The book Liesel Steals from the Bonfire was written by a Jew and painted Jewish people in a good light. This obviously would counteract Hitler's powerful words against Jewish people, and so it was destroyed. Max even refuses to let Liesel read Mein Kampf because he doesn't want it to poison her good heart. And he paints over the words of Mein Kampf and creates his own story of resistance, which is extremely powerful. Book banning and burning is something that's happened, like I said, all throughout history as a way of keeping certain ideas from people. But words are everywhere in this novel, painted on the walls, written down, read aloud, spoken, they're gifted, like the dictionary that Ilsa gives to Liesel. 
And language and words are personified just as death is in order to highlight their importance. The last words in the book Liesl writes are, I have hated the words and I have loved them and I hope I have made them right. Okay, the next theme is mortality and death. So the book is narrated by death itself, which I think is so powerful to personify death and have him narrate this whole story because this allows for a unique perspective of World War I and the Holocaust. The personification of death is fascinating because death is presented as a being with feelings, a person who actually cares about humans and their lives and the humans they're leaving behind in death. And death creates suspense throughout the novel by revealing when and how people die long before it happens in the book. So we're just left waiting for their deaths. And almost every person in the novel deals with some sort of survivor's guilt. A loved one died, or even when Max was forced to leave, the people left living are haunted by the dead and by the fact that they're still alive. In the end, death says that he's haunted by humans. He's dealt with so much death during World War II and all of the other wars. And it's interesting to get this perspective on war and on the Holocaust, something that's so death heavy to hear death's side of the story. Okay, the last theme is dualities. So there are a ton of dualities in the novel. There's like stealing versus giving, beauty versus ugliness, kindness versus cruelty. Throughout the novel, they're everywhere. But we're going to talk about kindness versus cruelty right now. So there are small acts and big acts of each throughout the novel. Small kindnesses are like Ilsa letting Liesl use her library, Rudy giving the pilot the teddy bear. There's big kindnesses like letting a Jewish boy live in your basement and taking care of him. And there's small cruelties like the boys who bully Rudy or the big cruelties like concentration camps. And throughout the novel, these dualities allow us to see the extremes in human behavior. In Nazi Germany, the script obviously flipped. Kindness towards Jewish people becomes punishable by law. And it's interesting because I really like what Death says about the German people who are hiding in basements from bomb raids because he says... You know, did they deserve this? No, but they are better off than the Jewish people in concentration camps who are being sent there to do manual labor as prisoners, and most of them are being, you know, burned or gassed to death. At least these German people had a chance, right? And I think that duality throughout the novel is so interesting because. You know, most of the books we get about the Holocaust are from Holocaust survivors or from the Jewish side of the story. So this book is interesting to get the side of the German people and especially from the perspective of death personified because death is like, yes, it's sad that these German people are going through this, but they at least have a chance. You know, they get to live with their families. They're not separated and they have a chance at surviving, whereas all of these Jewish people that I'm you know, taking night after night on these roofs of Auschwitz. Anyway, the dualities throughout the novel are so profound and interesting. You know, Rudy, in the beginning, he was stealing things. In the end, he's giving things. And I think it just shows that there's dualities in everything. There's two sides. I just really like mostly the kindness versus cruelty of it all in this novel. Those dualities are really profound. That is the end of the book thief it's very long and very profound and beautiful and sad and i hope you enjoyed it make sure you go follow brief podcast on instagram or tiktok i post when i 
publish new books on my podcast, so make sure you follow me so you know when new ones are posted and leave me a review if you have a second.